Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Wisdom Seekers class. My name is Tammy Stewart, and I am the teacher for this week. And as you all know, uh, today is uh, Palm Sunday. It's the day that Christ made his triumphal entry into uh, Jerusalem. It takes we uh, about a week. Uh, it's been about, you know, from that point, it was a week later that uh, the resurrection occurred. As you recall from scripture, the people laid down palm leaves and their coats as Jesus rode the donkey into the city. You know, palm leaves uh, resemble the open hand. And, you know, we, as saints, we extend our open hand to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we accept his love, and we accept his partnership as the Lord of lords and King of kings. Amen? You know, during uh, Christ's uh, crucifixion, which lasted six hours, his disciples, followers, uh, believers that were among the Jews uh, thought that they had really been forsaken. You know, they didn't realize at that moment when they saw Jesus coming in Jerusalem all the glorious events that would occur after his resurrection. Now let me segue a little bit. You know, today in our world, uh, we have a culture war going on that started on social media and it has spread to every facet of our life. And it is called the cancer, <laughs> I want to call it cancer, I really do. It's cancel, but it's like a cancer, it really is. I think about that so much. The cancel culture. And, you know, it's really a way of behaving in society, you know, where it's common to completely reject or stop supporting someone uh, because they have said something or they have done something that kind of offends you. You know, the cancel, I'll try not to say cancer, <laughs> culture, um, you know, is a person's way of exerting control over the world but you know we're living in a world that I don't know it's becoming increasingly more dangerous for us as Christians um, uh, also I think it's less tolerant than it was in years past and so in the cancer <laughs> I want to say cancer I really do in the cancel culture um, you know, people really appoint themselves as the judge of right or the judge of wrong, and they just simply dole out the punishment that they think you deserve. You know, while it's a, a great idea on paper, you know, to kind of uh, remove bad people uh, from society, um, we have the problem still that you know, nothing seems to be off limits to a person. Um, you know, they can just, whoever they are, they can be canceled for the very smallest thing. So it has 
fed itself into you know all parts of our society uh, individuals or corporations or society as a whole there there's just no limitations on what the reason may be that you're going to be canceled um, so I started thinking about how the enemy slowly and steadily has been working and crafting this idol this cancer this cancel culture I, 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 I told myself I was probably going to do that because when I talked to Dennis about it, I'm like, Dennis, it's just like a cancer, just eating away at us. And so I just, it immediately comes to my mind. Uh, but, uh, you know, it is. It's like an idol that people worship, and uh, it's, it's really prevalent in our country, but it's spreading throughout the world. And, you know, you, if you think about how uh, when someone is attacked, uh, personally, or if they represent, you know, a company, um, what potentially could happen to them is they could lose their livelihood. And that's kind of a scary thing because, uh, you know, they, in this uh, cancel culture, they are not given the opportunity to redeem themselves. You don't ever hear that about that happening. Not at all. So this is what I want to do today with this lesson. We're going to uh, look at the word forsaken in the Bible, in both the Old and the New Testament. And I want to connect this word forsaken with what is happening today in our society. And I'll probably say cancer again, but it is the, can it is the cancel culture. Um, I hope everyone has a handout. Um, on the first page, uh, there are four major Hebrew terms in the Old Testament for the word forsaken. Uh, number one, azab, means to loosen or relinquish. Number two, uh, shalah, to send away. Number three, Alman, uh, which means bereavement or to discard as a divorced person. And then number four is Natash, and it means cast off, reject, leave, let alone, extend, spread abroad. It's a little more, uh, there's, it's more descriptive, I guess is what I want to say. Um, there are about um, 40 occurrences of Natash in the Old Testament. And about half of these um, carry the idea of forsake or reject. So what uh, I want to do today is I want to focus on the fourth one, Natash. Um, let me give you a little bit of an introduction here to this scripture. Um, this is when Samuel resigns uh, the government of Israel as the judge, and he places it in the hands of Saul, the new king. He reminds the people of the great things that God had done for them and for their fathers and forefathers. But look at this very carefully because, as we read it, because Samuel 
is stirring the people to awaken themselves spiritually and to seriously consider what he said. Notice that what he does as we read this, by calling to God for thunder. So, at Samuel's word, God sends thunder and rain upon them and upon the land in a season of the year when this kind of occurrence had never been seen or known before, uh, which was the time period to harvest the wheat. So let's read this. 1 Samuel 12, uh, verses 16 through 22. Now therefore stand and see this great thing, which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord, and he shall send thunder and rain, that ye may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord in asking you a king. So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray, and that is palal, which means to judge. I'll come back to that thought. For thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. For we have added unto all our sins this evil, to ask us a king. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and turn ye not aside. For then shall ye go after vain, and you can see here that means to lie in waste, or it's an empty place, uh, things which cannot profit or deliver, nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not, that's important, forsake, which also means reject, his people for his great name's sake. Because it hath pleased, pleased here means to positively yield and undertake this act. Well, what was the act? To make them his own, his own people. And then it finishes, the Lord to make you his people. Now, go back to uh, verse um, 19. Notice that the people said to Samuel to pray. And, of course, that's palal. So, knowing that it means to judge, basically Samuel was to represent the people before God as the authority in the land. So, um, let's think about this for a minute. Um, not sure where to start this. Um, let me start it this way. Um, if what Samuel uh, said in a still small voice did not reach their hearts, will they hear God speaking to them in dreadful claps of thunder and great rain? Samuel suggested 
how serene and prosperous their condition seemed to be now that they had the king. However, you know, if God pleased, he could soon change the face of their heavens. So the quick change in the weather startled the people very much. And they earnestly begged Samuel to pray and to, you know, own up to their folly. And the folly was desiring a king. The people did not expect God to hear their prayers. And so they asked Samuel to pray for them. You know, what's interesting is, you know, I, I've just lifted this particular passage of Scripture out of the Bible, and it's hard sometimes because there's so much occur that was occurring beforehand. And, you know, they were really uh, slighting Samuel at this point. They were kind of ignoring him. They were not following his advice. They didn't care what he thought. Um, okay, let me go on. Um, you know... It was probably pretty uh, terrifying uh, what they experienced. But, you know, it wasn't designed to frighten them from God. It was intended to frighten them to God. Um, Samuel tells them not to despair or fear because the weather will clear after the storm. And I know that not all of that is in this particular passage. Um, Samuel is cautioning them about idolatry and not to turn aside from God and, and to continue to worship him. Now, this vain thing is something which lacks worth and is, you know, completely uh, fruitless. Um, it's just some kind of prospect that will probably deceive you. Um, Samuel really encourages the people that God will not reject them or leave them alone. And Samuel also comforts and assures them that he would continue, now this is in a later passage, that he would continue his care and concern for them because they no longer wanted him to represent them as a judge, you know, to be the authority. But he promises to them that he will pray for them and that he will teach them going forward, even though they're not willing for him to be the judge and govern Israel. So I found that kind of interesting about the weather. Now, this next passage here is very short, and um, it's Solomon, and he's laying down two general rules, um, basically to uh, fear God and honor parents. So let's read it. Um, it starts out Proverbs chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. The fear of the Lord, and, and remember that the fear of the Lord, it does mean to depart from evil, but you know, we don't emphasize this too much, but also it means to rebel. Rebel against this evil. Stand up against it. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or a knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction my son hear the instruction of thy father 
and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. You know, we know that all children should be respectful of their parents. You know, parents will instruct children, you know, in the need of the law, the Bible. Um, you know, when they're grown up, and uh, a lot of us have grown children and have grandchildren, uh, you know, even though they're not under our authority, they must still honor the law and their parents. I found interesting, uh, I did not, I mean, I kind of wondered about this, but I actually found it when I was doing some research. It talks about the laws of the Persians and the Romans, and um, they provided only that the children should pay respect to their father. And if you'll notice here in our scripture, the divine law secures also the honor of the mother. Both parents should be honored. And I, I, did, not, um, I did not know that. Um, you know, the instructions and the laws of the parents, when they are carefully observed by our children, and as they grow and have their own, these things that they learned when they were very small and carried in their heart really are like grace gifts and blessings upon them, which in turn can be bestowed upon their little ones as well. All right, now we're focusing on this word forsaken. And when I was looking through there, uh, lots of places actually, but uh, I noticed that for this particular Natash, uh, there were three specific objects that kept surfacing uh, when this word would be used, the word forsaken. And um, I want you to notice that, and I numbered them according to the number of times. So obviously we're going to look at God, David, and Egypt very briefly. Uh, that's not the thrust of what I want to do today, but I, I wanted to be sure you had a clear definition and understanding of the word. So this is where I'm headed. Um, so number one, God, the rock of salvation, cast away. And uh, let me talk about uh, chapter 32 a minute, the one, what we're going to read here. It's really the song of Moses. Um, and... Uh, in this particular passage of scripture, uh, it's orders that were given to Moses concerning the children of Israel as well as his death. That's what's in this particular passage of scripture. In the middle portion is kind of a review of the great things that God had done for them. And then it comes to uh, the opposition of the people and then a prediction of the judgments that's going to occur. So let's look at this for a minute, um, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 15 through 18. I noticed that uh, that second word I need, I, I had often wondered about that. It's interesting when you're going to teach, you start looking at things that you kind of glossed over or read over quickly. And I always wondered about this word, the second one, 
Uh, yes, your run uh, is actually the symbolic name for Israel. So it's like saying, but Israel waxed fat or gross and kicked or despised. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. And, and the idea there is to spread or stretch out the grossness. Then he uh, forsook God, which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations provoked they to him, provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. So, um, the end of the song, you know, promises the destruction of Israel's enemies uh, and that there will be a deliverance for the remnant of Israel. And, you know, uh, it's a remnant because the majority of the people did what? They forsook God. And they cast him away from their presence. And, and I'm using this specific scripture here, this passage, but think about it time and again, time and again, time and again, especially in the Old Testament. This was occurring over and over and over. It was like a cycle. Um, you know, God wanted to be their refuge, strength, but they kicked him away. They dishonored him. Um, you know, I, I think I just marvel at the love and the patience of our Father to just never give up on humanity, upon his people, and, but just to continue drawing and calling us unto him. So that's just an example, but it, it's just, it's all through the Old Testament. Now let's look at the second object, which was David. Of course, we love David. And it talks about David being left all alone. Um, you know, he was a man after God's heart. Um, he was often found feeling displaced and lost it many times. We, we can relate to that, especially in the Psalms. Um, but he knew intimately his God, and he knew how to pursue him and to find him. So let's read this short passage. It's Psalm 27, uh, 7 through 9. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. You know, if David could not go up to the house of the Lord, wherever he was, David could find his way to the throne of grace by prayer, wherever he might be. You know, David fastens his thoughts upon God. Uh, you know, David may feel God's displeasure, which he did many times, but he begs that God would c correct him and not cast him away from his presence. Um, his prayer is that the operations of God's power be not withdrawn, leaving him helpless or comfortless. And the same thing can be spoken of David, not as many times as God, but the desperation that he had, he knew he could find God. All right, now my last object was the nation of Israel. Israel left destitute. 
Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but remember that, you know, Egypt, um, I don't know, did I say Israel? Sorry. Egypt um, was a land that was highly civilized. It was a civilized culture for centuries. And, you know, many key events in the Bible took place in Egypt. Um, disobedience and idolatry um, during the time when they enslaved the Hebrew people uh, really left them, when they exited, really left them stripped of natural resources and manpower. So let's read this specific scripture that I picked. There were many, but I picked this one. This is Ezekiel uh, chapter 20, verses 8 through 9. But they rebelled against me and would not hearken unto me. They did not every man cast away the abominations of their eyes, neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I wrought for my name's sake that it should not be polluted before the heathen among whom they were, in whose sight I made myself known unto them in bringing them forth out of the land of Egypt. You know, God chose Israel to be his peculiar people. And, you know, um, even though their condition was bad at that time, uh, I, I've, I've heard it referenced that their character was really poor. It was even worse, which I thought was interesting. Um, you know, God promised to bring them out of Egypt, and he really did make good on that promise. Um, he also made himself known to them by his name. Um, he assured them that he would put them in possession of the land of Canaan. Um, and, you know, God really spied out the land for them, and it was kind of like a second garden of Eden. Um, but here's what I found that was uh, to my, what I was thinking in my mind. Um, I thought it was strange um, that all the plagues of Egypt uh, didn't work to cure the children of Israel uh, from their affections for the idols that were in Egypt. Um, you know, I think that God could have said, you know, I'll just let them die with the Egyptians. You know, but he didn't leave them. And, you know, we really know the rest of the story about the miraculous deliverance by the Lord at the hand of Moses. So, I'm going to segue again, and this one is entirely different, but I really felt like I needed to share this. Um, you know, it's hard. You know, if you're up here, it's your turn. It's like, which ones do I pick? Which ones am I going to choose? Lord, I can't use all of them, and I don't want to uh, wear them down with, you know, the old stories, but... I knew I had to put this one in. Um, all right, now this uh, particular passage of Scripture is about the sins of Israel after they were actually settled in Canaan. And you can see from my heading there that it's about forsaking the temple. Tell God I'll call him back. Um, Psalm 78, uh, verses 56 through 60. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God, 
and kept not his testimonies, but turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. Slowing down here. When God heard, um, that's Shema. You know, Shema means hear, listen, to obey. But there's a derivative of Shema, and it's Shema, and it means sound. Now I'll come back, but let's read it like this. When God heard the sound of this, he was wroth, you know, he was provoked to anger, and greatly abhorred, or he spurned Israel, so that he, speaking of God, forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he placed among men. The children of Israel were just like their fathers, and they brought all the old corruptions into their new habitations. Uh, they sometimes de seemed devoted to God, but then they would turn aside and they would provoke him with anger in the high places with the graven images. You know, idolatry uh, was the one thing that easily attacked them time and time again. Now, let's go back to what we were talking about here. We read when God heard this, which means when he heard the sound or the cry of their iniquity or their sin, he was angered and refused Israel. He deserted his tabernacle among them, and he removed the defense which was upon the glory that settled on Shiloh. And you know, remember this, God never leaves us until we leave him. The tabernacle at Shiloh was the tent God had placed among men in which God could dwell on the earth. When his people deserted it, he justly forsook it, and then all the glory departed. He gave up all into the hands of the enemy. He just allowed that to happen. God permits them to take the ark prisoner and they carried it off like a trophy. You know, here's, here's our victory. Um, but notice that when they carried it off, the tabernacle was forsaken, but also they took the ark. Everything. Now, I looked this up. The Philistines uh, defeated Israel in 1050 B.C. You know, they captured the ark, and they left the town of Shiloh to, to just sink into insignificance. Um, finally, what happened was fire reduced it to the scene of desolation, which was pictured by Jeremiah some 450 <coughs> years later. I'm going to just read this real quick. This is it's not on your handout. Jeremiah 7:12. But go ye now 
unto my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people, Israel. God never sent the ark back to Shiloh to the tribe of Ephraim. The ruins of Shiloh were a standing monument of divine justice. The ark was rescued and held in the hands of the tribe of Judah. Um, the ark had been in captivity several months, and then many years after that, it was just in obscurity. As you know, David erected a tent for the ark. His son Solomon built the temple, which was designed and prepared by David. As a result of taking the ark, the Philistines were plagued by God with tumors. Interesting. This has to do with forsaken plan. Uh, it just occurred to me, was this about the same time for the Crusades in Europe? In a thousand, in a thousand I never put that together before. Okay, here's our historian in the back. Pastor? No. I, I didn't think so. When were they? When were the Crusades? The time you said, but this was before Christ. Before Christ. But it's a good thought, Fran, because yeah. you're thinking. Okay. I think I could get back to the years, I I've always wondered how could they capture the ark when Uzzah touched it and died? I've always that is such an excellent question. I have thought the same thing. God allowed it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't, did everybody hear her question? I have thought that too. Can you say it again? Well, I just wonder how they captured the ark when Uzzah touched the ark and died. Well, I think like, what they, to answer that, I mean, God, in, in the case with um, the you guy, um, <laughs> he was told specifically, do not touch it. Oh. In that instance. Okay. So it was a direct uh, act of disobedience. And it all, it's still hard to imagine how uh, it was going to topple over. And they were just trying to, it seems like it would have been okay, but when God says don't do something, yeah, I guess they're so. do it. I have a comment too, just to, to follow up on what Fran said. <laughs> you know, we're looking at the, we're looking at the Old Testament because that's the word we're looking at. But you guys, I mean, this is very real for us today in the church. I mean, in reality, as far as idol worship, you know what I mean? And so you think about the Lord forsaking the, the, the tabernacle in Shiloh. You know, you've heard the phrase, God's left the building. I mean, has God left the church in a lot of ways? And I think, thankfully, not that, I mean, I, I, I'm so thankful to be sensitive to idolatry in my own life. And the way the Lord will, you know, reveal something to me that maybe I'm putting above him or maybe has become too important to me. And it can be something so simple. But I mean, we can relate this two thousand years later with where we are. 
And, you know, if, if ever I'm counseling somebody about joining a church, I mean, the first thing I always say is that their focus is on the presence of God and worship to Him and Him alone. And it's just, I mean, this is plaguing our society, our culture. <coughs> and it's a sound to Him. I mean, it, it is a sound to Him. And it's, it's, it's very real. It's not just way back then with the Israelites. I mean, how merciful and how long-suffering is he with us just in our country, right? But, you know, if there be 50 among you that's righteous, we intercede and we just ask him to save us. And by his grace, he is. But sometimes I marvel that we're not just... I, I made a joke the other day that it, it, it's, you know, reading something in the news of such an abomination which to me is idolatry in so many ways. That he doesn't just light a match up there at his throne and just drop it down. <laughs> you know, it just... He's just so long-suffering. He is. He is. But idol worship is... It's the demon that we that we have to face all the time. It's in our nature. So, anyway. Yeah, and I, I don't want to get off topic either, but I was taken with the sound of the of the cry of iniquity, you know, the sound that God heard. You know, and I, st I still think about, uh, you know, when Cain uh, slayed Abel, you know, his blood uh, cried to, to God yeah. from the ground that was spilt on the ground. His blood cried to God. So, you know, we, don't, we can't take these things lightly. We can't. We really can't. All right, now we're going to go into the New Testament. And uh, the word forsaken in the New Testament is afiyami. And it means to let go, to leave, to leave behind, to let alone. Um, I have um, entitled this, uh, Jesus' Disciples Forsaking All. Um, this uh, particular passage of scripture to the disciples uh, follows the conversation that um, Jesus had with the rich man who went away sorrowful. So this is what happened next. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 through 30. <coughs> then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, 
or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. Wow. Powerful scripture. Wow. You know, Peter desired to know whether they had sufficiently come up to the terms to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want you to note the disciples had not sold all, for they had many of them wives and families to provide for, but they had forsaken all. Uh, you know, Peter speaks of it um, as if it had been some mighty thing. Uh, that's uh, verse 27. Uh, Behold, we have forsaken all. You know, Christ does not criticize them, you know, because it was their all. You know, it was like the widow's two mites. And it was as dear to them as if it had been more. Okay, now look at the end uh, of verse 27. The disciples had never till now asked, what shall we have? You know, they were so well assured of his goodness that they did not question him. You know, it truly, you know, honors Christ to trust him and serve him and not to bargain with him. Um, notice, we have Christ's promises to them and to all others that tread in the steps of faith and obedience. You know, as long as the master's glory is delayed, you know, it's fit that ours should be too. You know, we must live and work and suffer in faith and hope and patience. But we also must share with Christ in his advancement. The disciples, having suffered with a suffering Jesus, must reign with a reigning Jesus. You know, the general idea of these promises is to show the glory and dignity reserved for the saints in heaven. There's going to be abundant recompense, you know, for the disgrace that they suffered, you know, here for Christ's cause. There are higher degrees of glory for those that have done and suffered the most. The heavenly inheritance is not given as earthly inheritances are commonly uh, given. It's not by uh, seniority or priority at birth, but it's according to God's pleasure. next scripture but you know we're kind of jumping around here in the New Testament so it's hard when you need to transition um, we're going to talk about Jesus' death on the cross
you know, Jesus has undertaken to satisfy the justice of God for us. He submitted to the utmost indignity that could have been done to the worst of men because he was made sin for us. You know, this was uh, signified by a miraculous eclipse of the sun, which continued for three hours. Think about this. An extraordinary light gave the sign of the birth of Christ. So I think it's proper that an extraordinary darkness should notify his death. For he is the light of the world. Let's read this. This is Matthew 27, verses 45 through 46. It's very short, but the one thing I discovered about this short little verse is I've been mispronouncing the words. <laughs> and I'll probably do it again today. I did look them up. Um, now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, our Lord Jesus, even when he was forsaken of his father, he kept hold of him as his God. My God, my God. Even though you are forsaking me, yet you are mine. This supported him and bore him up in the depth of his sufferings, that God was his God. And this he resolves to keep tightly hold of. All right, now... <clears throat> Jesus' enemies bantered and ridiculed this complaint that was made by Jesus about being forsaken. They said, this man calls for Elias or Elijah. Haven't you heard that many times? I have. Some thought that this mistake made by the Roman soldiers was because they knew not the significance of Ali, Ali. And so they made this, you know, blundering comment concerning the words of Christ. Um, let me step aside a minute. It made me think that, you know, many of the reproaches that are cast upon the word of God today uh, and on the people of God take rise from real insensitive mistakes just like this that occurred back then when Jesus was hanging you know, on the cross. There's another one. There's one other opinion held by some that the thought that it was a deliberate mistake from some of the Jews who knew very well what he said, but were wanting to abuse Jesus and to misrepresent him as the one who was forsaken of God. You know, Christ fights the powers of darkness on their own ground. In the dark, 
with no sun or wind, and he becomes more than a conqueror. Our Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, something I, to really think about, isn't it? Oh. You know, I, I love that, you know, we, if we talk about things that, you know, idols, idols or anything that gets us between us and the Lord, all of that was nailed to the cross. You know, all of that died on the cross for us, so we have the capacity to to walk in and, and um, purity in that way. And I love that. But you think about just this whole principle of forsaken. You know, with God the Father forsaking His Son, that was such a demonstration of that very thing that God the Father would forsake His Son for us, for His divine will to be fulfilled, to bring us there. And then Jesus forsook all and went to the cross for the same reason. And it was, you know, he was nailed on that cross and he died for that so that we could walk in that. So that we could over, so that we could, like the disciples could, like Peter said, forsake, forsaken all. You know, all the things that are important to us, our brothers, our sisters, our fathers, our mothers, our houses, all the things that we hold so dear in this life, they can become idolatry for us, right? But it was all done on the cross. Yes. Father, Son, I don't know, it's just, I'm so thankful. <laughs> yes, oh, it, that's that's great. You know, and two, uh, just, just reading through it again, every little thing is so important here. All the signs that were in the, you know, in the sky and on the earth, you know, all of that was carefully orchestrated. You know, sometimes we forget that. You know, we don't tie it in with other scriptures in the Bible. But yes, thank you, Monica. No, and then he would just even use this language. You know, that he would use... Well, you know, forsaken is a strong word. And he knew (laughs) that's what he was coming to the earth to do, but still, it's so important that he used that language. Right? It's just... Yes. These are such unique scriptures. I, I feel like I'm jumping from thought to thought to concept to principle. Okay, let's go to Second Corinthians. Um, it's, uh, it's the Apostle Paul and his fellow laborers, the Corinthians, um, and it's uh, uh, there's a it's about their work, and they have this um, air of constancy about themselves and. They're moving forward with courage, and they're enduring with long patience as they suffer. So let's read this. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. 
So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Um, let's uh, go back and let's look at these sufferings <coughs> that were declared in this passage of scripture. Go back to uh, verse 8, uh, the first part of it. I have allergies. I apologize. That's why I hesitate. Um, all right, verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We can see help in God and help from God. All right? Second half of verse 8. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We know God is able to support us and to deliver us. Verse 9, first part. We are persecuted, but not forsaken of God. We are never left alone or rejected by our Father who loves us. Okay, second half of nine. We are cast down, but not destroyed. We are never lost and without God's abiding presence. Still, the saints were preserved and kept their heads above water. Whatever the condition the children of God may be in, in this world, they have a but not or a yet not to comfort them. You know, the apostle speaks of their sufferings as a parallel to the sufferings of Christ. So remember our yet nots and our but nots. I'd never thought about that before. <laughs> all right, a little introduction here. Um, in all the ages of the church, um, the enemy has, send, has sent uh, some to deceive. And in this case, it was the false prophets in the Old Testament, and uh, we had the seducing teachers in the New Testament. And their business was and is to bring destructive errors to the body of Christ. So let's look at this one about destruction of false teachers. This is Second Peter chapter 2, verses 10 through 15. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption, and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings, while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices, 
cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosur, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Okay. Um, those that walk after the flesh act directly contrary to God's righteous precepts and comply with the demands of evil. Uh, they go on in their sinful walk and they increase more and more in an ungodliness. Um, they also pour contempt on those whom God has set in authority over them. We know that. Uh, in verse 12, uh, the apostle proceeds to show how men under the power of sin are so far from observing divine relation that they do not exercise reason. You know, those who are themselves incessant in sin are very often successful in drawing others into the same excess. Also, those who are in the greatest danger of being led away into error are, according to this passage, unstable. <coughs> those whose hearts are not established with grace are easily turned into the way of sin. These are not only riotous ones, but they covet also. They pant after riches, and the desire of their souls is to gain all the wealth of this world. You know, if men abandon themselves to all sorts of lusts, we can understand why the apostle called them the cursed children. You know, the apostle Peter also proves that they are forsaken. For they have gone the wrong way, just like Balaam, the son of Bosur. He loved the riches and honor, and, you know, uh, he just, Balaam just turned out of the way of his duty to God and, uh, and displeased the Lord. And remember, the donkey was enabled to speak, and he tried to expose his madness about his conduct and going, you know, the evil way, but it was all in vain because he would not listen, and he did not away. All right, now I like this one because, you know, this whole theme today has been about forsaken, and notice what I've entitled it. <coughs> the Lord will never leave you. Um, you know, Paul is the author of the Hebrews, and he recommends several excellent responsibilities to the Hebrews as the proper fruits of faith. He begins with brotherly love, hospitality, bearing each other's burdens, and contentment. Let's read that. It's Hebrews 13, 1 through 6. But let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, 
nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. You know, God is the helper of the righteous. He will run to help us just like a doctor. And the word fear means God gives a freedom from the bondage of suffering and death. We are to be satisfied and pleased with such things as we have. What God gives us from day to day, we must be content with. God does not want us to covet. We must take care to not only keep this sin down, but to root it out of our souls. Paul, um, though abased and empty, had learned in every state, any state, to be content. You know, this promise contains the sum and substance of all the promises. From this promise, we can assure ourselves of help from God. Men can do nothing against God, and God can make all men do against his people to turn to their good. Amen? So God can turn this if that's according to his will. Um, I got one more scripture. This is my last one. Um, this is about young Timothy who was stationed at Ephesus, and the Apostle Paul um, is giving him direction in his letter for governing the, the church and for training the members. So it begins with Paul sharing an account of his own circumstances of being forsaken. And notice I entitled it, Cast Off by Friends. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. At my first answer or defense, no man stood with me or, or took part, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge or their account. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all Gentiles <laughs> might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Wow. like that. You know, um, Paul had many occasions where his friends would forsake him. You know why? Because, you know, they were afraid they'd have to suffer with him. You know, other times there was strong opposition to Paul's teaching. And, and his friends left him because, you know, he was being threatened and they didn't, they didn't want to be a part of that. Um, you know, Paul really endeavors to, uh, through his prayers that God would not lay their forsaking him to their, to their account, you know, which is very commendable of him. And it is a very serious offense. Um, you know, sometimes Paul had to, had, he didn't have anybody. There was no one to keep him strengthened and encouraged. But what does it say in this passage? Therefore God would make his face to shine. You know, if the Lord stand by me, he will strengthen me, and his presence will more than supply everyone's absence who have left me and turned away. Now, let's go back to the thought that I had at the beginning. 
Let's see if I can say the phrase right. Let's go back to the cancel culture society that, you know, uh, you forsake a person in that environment. But remember, God will never leave us or forsake us. We always have his love, his forgiveness, and his wonderful redemption. Always. Our Father will not stop bringing us back from sin and death. Even though the cancel culture is trying to ensnare us. We are covered from head to toe with the blood of Christ. We have nothing to fear because we belong to him. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Any comments, questions? All right. Thank you for being such good listeners. <laughs> <laughs>